pursuit of nuclear weapons. And so this is coming out in the headlines, again, to give you a quick update, and I'll do this periodically throughout the year, um, because we are told to be what? Be watching, aren't we? And to be wise and be discerning. But w the headlines in the Jerusalem Post uh, tomorrow morning is going to read that Israel seriously considering military action against Iran. Again, from the Jerusalem Post, and the article reads this, that Israel is ser seriously considering taking unilateral military action to stop Iran from acquiring nuclear weapons, according to a report by top U.S. political figures and experts released Wednesday. The report also says Israel's time frame for action is growing shorter, not only because of Iranian advances, but because Tehran might soon acquire upgraded air defenses and disperse its nuclear program to additional locations. We talked about that New Year's Eve. That one of the things they're looking at is that Russia and um, is helping them put in some air defense systems that they're wanting to put in very soon here. And so they want to, you know, if they do need to do something about um, their nuclear facilities, they need to Israel and want to before those defense systems are up. And so that's a big, big thing with Israel that they're considering. The report preventing a cascade of instability was put out by the Washington Institute for Near um, East Policy. And so the article goes on to say uh, one of the members, former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, uh, Nancy Sotoberg, one of the task force members who traveled to the region, she noted that a timetable for an Israeli attack might be significantly moved up if Jerusalem believed Russia was going to make good on its pledge to supply Iran with S-300 surface-to-air missile system, which would greatly complicate any Israeli attack. So we're going to continue to watch that. And, of course, we know that Ezekiel 38 talks about the Battle of Gog and Magog, which includes Iran and Russia and this alliance coming together with a massive invasion against Israel. This on the webpage of Fox News just came up this evening. It says, a report, Iran can get materials to make 50 nukes. And it's coming from the same report from the same task force that was uh, there talking to the president today, apparently. And I'll just read a quick, uh, uh, a quick summary of what the article says. It says, Iran can develop a nuclear weapon within a year and access enough uh, missile materials to produce up to 50 nuclear weapons. A panel of current and former U.S. officials advising the Obama administration said Wednesday. And so this is the same panel that is saying that Israel is very serious about the decision that they have to make. Another factor in the equation is this, that Israel just had elections. They can elected a conservative party to run the government. Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be the next prime minister, and he's very much one that is willing to defend Israel at any cost. And so I, I've met, actually, Benjamin Netanyahu down at Ground Zero after 2001 when some of us Calvary chapels were down there and um, working, he came into Ground Zero, and it was interesting watching him as, as we were meeting him. It was after he's already been Prime Minister of Israel once before. It was after uh, that his uh, premiership was over, and uh, he was at Ground Zero. And I remember standing behind him, and he was just shaking his head saying, we told him this was going to happen. So interesting man. So it's, it's something that we need to watch in the Middle East. So... Uh, Father, we just ask that you would just help us to continue to be ones that are watching and as being wise in the days in which we are living in. And Lord, we don't know what the days and the weeks and the months hold ahead, but we do know 
that what your word says concerning the signs and the events that are going to take place in the latter days, that they will take place. And so, Lord, we know that we are to be ones that are to continue to be looking and wise and, and Lord, to be about your business. And so, Lord, tonight I pray we would do that as we just study your word, as we open up this new book. I pray that we would be ones that would listen. I know we come in tired. We come in after a long day. But, Lord, help us be attentive to these things that are here that, Lord, that we may make application and understand how important we are as individuals to you. And so uh, bless this time in the teaching of your word in Jesus' name. We know from the book of Genesis, which means beginnings, that the Lord would call Abraham to himself. He would give a promise to Abraham and say, Abraham, from you and your descendants, I'm going to make a great nation, and that nation is going to belong to me. I'm going to choose that nation to represent me. And so Israel would be, and the children of Israel, descendants of Abraham. And of course, Abraham married to Sarah at that time in Genesis, or Genesis chapter 12. We know that he had no children, and he would wait for the promise of what God had given to him as he would be brought into the land of Canaan. And the Lord said, Abraham, look at all this land, and it's going to belong to you and your descendants. I'm going to give it to you. And so it would be Abraham that would wait for the promise of God as him and Sarah had a son named Isaac. Isaac would marry Rebekah, and they would have a son, Jacob. They had twins, Esau and Jacob. And as you travel through the book of Genesis, of course, you know that it would be the promise reiterated to Isaac through Abraham that Jacob, um, that this land is going to belong to you and your descendants. We see the story there of Jacob in the book of Genesis, how he would have 12 sons, which are the patriarchs to the 12 tribes of Israel. In the book of Genesis, we are told how one of those sons, Joseph, would end up being sold off into slavery into Egypt. And as he was in Egypt, he would go through a difficult time. He was wrongly accused in Potiphar's house. Um, he was a man, Joseph, only 17 years old at that time. He ended up in prison because of that false accusation that he had made advances against uh, Potiphar's wife. We know that Joseph, as the Bible tells us, was a man of integrity and holiness and was a man that pleased God with his life. He was a man that, that did not get involved in sin. So God would find favor with Joseph as Joseph would spend many years in prison, but then he would go before Pharaoh as Pharaoh had heard that he was able to interpret dreams. And it would be Joseph that was used of God to interpret a dream to tell him of the wisdom that Pharaoh needed to get them through some days of famine. We know that Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph, he made Joseph the prime minister of Egypt. It would be during those times of famine that Jacob and his sons would come into Egypt, and there the children of Israel, according to what God had told Abraham, that your descendants are going to be in a strange land. That is, they're going to be foreigners in that land for four generations or 400 years. And so that would begin the 400 years when Joseph was there in Egypt and Jacob uh, and his sons and his family, 75 in totality, came over and they began to leave in, live in Egypt. They found favor with Pharaoh. They got the best of the land. And then there's that time gap between the book of Genesis after Joseph dies and then the book of, of Exodus. And so a couple hundred years passes. And then the book of Exodus, of course, is that time 
when God calls Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Moses, I've heard the cries of my people, because what happened during those 400 years, of course, is that another pharaoh and another pharaoh and another pharaoh would come on the scene. He would look out and he would see the children of Israel, their population exploding. All of a sudden, they go from 75 to 400 years later, they got 2 to 3 million people. Matter of fact, Exodus chapter 1 says that they were multiplying exceedingly. There was a population explosion. So he of course, would try to keep them uh, in bondage to their slavery. He tried to kill the male children when, uh, that were born to the women of uh, the Hebrew women's, drown them in the Nile River, but God would bring the children of Israel out of that bondage and slavery, of course, as the plagues came down upon Egypt. In Exodus chapter 13, they would leave in orderly ranks, and so the rest of the book of Exodus talks about how they would come to the mountain of God as God told Moses, when you leave Egypt, come to this mountain, and I'm going to make a covenant with you, and I'm going to give you my law. So that's what Moses does. The Red Sea parts, they cross the Red Sea, the Egyptian army is drowned, they come to the mountain of God there at Mount Sinai, the mountain shakes, the people trembled, the Lord said, tell, tell the people to consecrate themselves because they're going to meet their God. And it was there at Mount Sinai that the law was given to the children of Israel and that covenant was made. And the Lord would say that I'm going to give you the land of Canaan, that is a land flowing with milk and honey, and I'm going to drive out the inhabitants. And so there the law was given to the children of Israel, and we also know that they were instructed in building the tabernacle, weren't they? So the book of Exodus talks a whole lot about the details of the tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle, and the, the building and the making of the priestly uh, garments. And um, so that is described to us in details. So the book of Exodus takes us into the second year of their exodus. It, it takes a time span of about a year. It took them about a year to, uh, to make the tabernacle, to make the priestly garments. That's where the book of Exodus ends. The book of Leviticus we saw concerning the priests, their duties that were given to them, the details and how they were to give the sacrifices. More laws were given to them concerning their religious and ceremonial uh, rituals that they were to do. And so the book of Leviticus, as we just finished, covers a time span of about 30 days. Now that we go into the book of Numbers, it's going to cover a time span of about 38 years. And what we're going to see here in the book of Numbers is their wilderness experience. And more stories are told to us here in the book of Numbers. And we're going to see how it is that the children of Israel, how they uh, would uh, conduct themselves as they were in the wilderness. You see, at this time, the tabernacles built, the priestly ministries all in set, the priests have all prepared to do the sacrifices. And so they're ready to go into the promised land, which the Lord said that I'm going to give to you. I will drive out the inhabitants. And so what the Lord is doing here is, first of all, in the book of Numbers, two things that we're going to see very clearly. Numbers is going to show us how it is that the children of Israel were uh, organized. When you uh, see that movie, and I think all of us have probably, or at least most of us, have seen the Ten Commandments and Charlton Heston. They show it all the time right around Easter time. So when you watch it once again, um, when you see them leaving Egypt and you see this mass 
amount of people that are leaving Egypt out into the wilderness. It wasn't that way. You see, again, Exodus chapter 13, they left in orderly ranks. And what Numbers is going to show us is that God is a God of order and decency. There was an order in which they were to march in the wilderness that we're going to see. There was an order in which they were to set up camp. And so that's what we're going to look at. So we'll see the order that God gives to them, and also we're going to see spelled out the very specific duties that are given to the Levites. Now, this is going to be different than the priestly ministry that we saw in the book of Leviticus. We know that every priest is a Levite, but not every Levite is a priest. I'll explain that again, as most of you probably know what that means. But when we get into it next week, and when we get into chapters 3 and 4, but the Levites were to help the priests in the ministry of the tabernacle. And so the different families are going to be given specific duties. And so we're going to see, again, that... God here is going to have specific order for them. He's going to have specific duties for them. And we're also going to see that he's going to give them the promise that when you go into the promised land, and see, God is preparing them for that. When they go into the promised land, and they, they're a nation, and then the allotments are divided up. Here's your civil laws, your religious law, your ceremonial laws. Here's how you're to be organized. Here are things done. And so that's what he's doing. But something's going to happen here in the book of Numbers, the second thing that we will see. We will see that they will continue in disobedience and unbelief. And because of that, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. The book of Deuteronomy tells us from Mount Sinai, they should have gone up into the promised land. It should have only took a few days, a couple of weeks. But they were there for 40 years. And so the book of Numbers is going to tell us why they did. And if anything that we get from this book is, is that we will continue in wilderness experience in our spiritual life. And all of us go through wilderness times, don't we? We go through times in our lives spiritually where it feels hot and barren and dry. And we got choices to make. And the children of Israel had choices to make and they chose to not trust in God, to walk in disobedience and to murmur and to complain. And they would continue. This generation that has come out of Egypt would die out there in the wilderness because of their disobedience. A new generation would go into the promised land. You see, Jesus came along and said that I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And I've heard so many Bible teachers talk about the promised land, and as we are going to enter into the promised land, that it speaks of heaven. It speaks of abundant life that the Lord wants for us to, to have now. But so many Christians live a spiritual life of, of being in the wilderness because they're not trusting in the Lord. They're not walking in the ways of the Lord. They're not resting in the Lord. And, and they're murmuring and they're complaining. And that's one sure way that you will end up in a wilderness experience that will be extended if you keep going in that direction. We're going to see that very clearly as we go through the book of Numbers. So as we go through Numbers, the first couple chapters are going to deal with the census and how it is that they're ordered as they go through their wilderness wandering. So let's look at this census. There's a census in the second year of their exodus that's in chapter 1. At the end of the book of Numbers, a new generation is going to go into the promised land. So there's going to be another census that will be taken, and we'll compare the two. But let's look at the census here as we read in Numbers chapter 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness, 
wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle of meeting. And on the first day of the second month, in the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt, saying, so the tabernacle's been built, the priests are all in line, they're at Mount Sinai there, they're in the second year of their wilderness wandering, and so here they are, verse 2, as the Lord said to Moses, take a census of all the congregation of the children of Israel by their families, by their father's houses, according to the number of names, every male individually, from 20 years old to above, all who are able to go to war to in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And so what we see here is this census is going to be taken by all 12 tribes of the children of Israel, 20 years and above the males. And so this is kind of a military type census. And as we're going to see the final numbers are going to be given to us in this census at the end of the chapter, it's going to be over 600,000 males, 20 years and above from the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's where we get the number between 2 and 3 million Jews that are out here in the wilderness. 600,000 males, 20 years and above, you can think that there's at least that many females that are there in the camp. But also remember in the book of Exodus that right before they left Egypt, there was a population explosion of children being born. They multiplied exceedingly is what the scripture says. So there are some scholars that suggest that maybe even more than 3 million people, maybe 4 million, maybe even as possible as 5 million in totality that have gone out in the wilderness. Now you can see and understand why God wants order. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it was like for Moses there on that night that the death angel was going to come in the 10th plague in Exodus chapter 12? Passover is instituted. And so, Moses, you're going to have to get the people ready because you're going to have to leave real quick and you're going to have to go out in orderly ranks. How much of a task that was for Moses to get everybody organized? I mean, we're talking about the city of Denver and metro area. And so, again, they would go out in orderly ranks. There was order. There was, there was details given so they can keep everything decently and in an order kept. And so they're going to set up camp in that order, and there's a number that is given so they know how many people they have in this military census, those men who can go to war. And so verse 4, And with you there shall be a man from every tribe, each one the head of his father's house. So there's going to be a representative of each of these 12 tribes that are listed here and so these are the names verse 5 of the men who shall stand with you from reuben elazar the son of Sheldur, and from simeon Shalumiel, the son of Shaddai. verse 7 from judah nashon the son of aminadab i'm sure you remember nashon you remember him in our study of matthew chapter 1 verse 4 i believe he's mentioned in the genealogy of jesus Jesus comes from the tribe of what? Judah. So just a little footnote. So verse 8, from Issachar, Nathaniel, the son of Zuar. And then from Zebulon, Eliab, the son of Helon. And from the sons of Joseph, from Ephraim, Elashama, and the son of Amahud. And from Manasseh, Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur, uh, is his name. Remember Joseph, that he had two sons that were included in the 12 tribes of Israel. Sometimes people say, hey, isn't there really 13 tribes? Because in these 12 tribes that are listed here, one of them is going to be left out. It's going to be the Levites. And the reason they're left out is because the Lord said, they belong to me. I am their inheritance. They're exempt from military uh, service, and they're going to do the tabernacle work. 
And so they're going to be, have their own census that's going to be taken of the Levites when we get to chapter 3, I believe. Verse 12 from Dan, Ahai Ezer, the son of Ammi, Shaddai, and then from Ezer, Pegiel, the son of Akran, and from Gad, Elisaph, the son of Duel, and from Naphtali, Ahira, the son of Anan. And those were chosen from the congregation leaders of their father's tribes, heads of the division of Israel. You might be sitting here thinking, I can't believe he read all those names. And why do we need to go through all these names here in chapter 1? What does it mean for me? Is It must be insignificant, but it isn't. And the reason why we go through all these names is, first of all, it's in the Bible. And second of all, it was important enough for God write these names in his word and you see these people were important enough for him to have a recording God's word that will last forever remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 that heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away God's word is eternal and so as I look at this we're going to go through names and we're going to see names that are going to be listed and stuff but that tells me something It reminds me, first of all, that God knows and counts the stars of heaven. And he knows each one of them by name. I hope I'm not bursting anybody's bubble, but you know how it is at Christmas and Valentine's that you hear those radio commercials, you know, buy a star and name a star for, you know, your hunting for all of this and send money and we'll patent it and we'll, you know, give the you know, the star, it's named that you want after your girlfriend or wife or whatever it might be. And it's a gift that'll last forever. And Well, I hope I am not disappointing anybody, but God's already named those stars and they will not last forever because heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. It reminds me, I was thinking of this, I was getting a haircut today when I was at the barber shop, that as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, he knows the number of hairs on our head. And I was telling the barber, hey, you know that Jesus said, you know, and I was trying to strike up a conversation, but. <laughs> and, he, and he knows you. He knows you. Isn't it irritating when you go somewhere, perhaps you got a reservation somewhere or at dinner and you go there and the people say, we don't have your name. I'm sorry, sir, you go to a hotel, we don't have a reservation for you. And you just have this overwhelming sense of, you guys don't care, I'm not important. But it's never that way with the Lord. And those of us who belong to the Lord, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and we're not going to go to heaven, and there isn't going to be Peter up there going, oh, maybe this is oversight, you know. We, we, you know, we need to call him back. It isn't going to be that way. The Lord knows you. And he knows your name. And he knows you personally. And he knows everything about you, even the number of hairs that are on your head. And on Sunday morning, we're going to start Jesus, seeing Jesus. Is he going to be heading to Calvary in the final moments of his life as we finish Matthew's gospel? And he did it because of his love for you. And as he took that cross and walked down the narrow streets of Jerusalem and out the Damascus Gate to that place of execution. It was because of you. And he knew all about you, and that's why he did it, because of his love for you. Never forget that the Lord knows you and loves you 
And just as these men and these people are all going to be given details on what they're to do and the responsibilities, he has a plan for you. Oh, that's something that I want these kids to understand and, and the youth kids upstairs, that the Lord knows them. And he wants to use them and have a plan for them and bless their life. And, and loving the Lord is, is something that is so wonderful. And so here these names are given in verse 17. And Moses and Aaron took these men who had been mentioned by name and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month and they recited their ancestry by family, by their father's houses, according to the number of names from 20 years old and above each one individually. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai. Now to the children of Reuben, Israel's oldest son, remember Reuben was the firstborn, that we know that, um, that their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, and those who were number of the tribe of Reuben were 46,500. Verse 22, from the children of Simeon, by their genealogies, their families, and by their father's house, those who were numbered according to the number of names, every male individually from 20 years old and above, all who were able to go to war, those who were numbered of the tribe of Simeon were 59,300. From the children of Gad, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, verse 25. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Gad were 45,650. From the children of Judah, their genealogies by their families and their father's house, verse 27. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Judah were 74,600. From the children of Issachar, their genealogies by families, by their father's houses, verse 29. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Issachar were 54,400. From the children of Zebulon, their genealogies by their families, their father's houses. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Zebulon, 57,400. Verse 32, from the sons of Joseph, the children of Ephraim, their genealogies by their families. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Ephraim were 40,000. 1,500, and then from the children of Manasseh, their genealogies by their families. Those who were numbered by the tribe of Manasseh were 32,200. And from the children of Benjamin, their genealogies by their families. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Benjamin were 35,400. And from the children of Dan, their genealogies by their families. Those who were numbered of the tribe of Dan were 62,700. The tribe of Dan was the largest tribe, 62,700. When they go into the promised land, we're going to see that their numbers are going to drop. And the tribe of Dan, who at this time was the strongest, and the numbers that they had would indicate how strong and large they are. We're going to see that they're going to decrease. They're going to be given an allotment in the book of Joshua that is next to the children or the tribe of Judah. They were to be a strong tribe, and they ended up becoming weaker and weaker and weaker in their history, and they ended up moving up to the north by Mount Hermon, and they became an insignificant tribe towards the end uh, before they would go off into captivity by the Assyrians. So the tribe of Dan is an interesting tribe. We'll talk more about them as we continue through uh, the Old Testament. And so from the children, verse 40 of Asher, their genealogies by their families, those who were numbered of the tribe of Asher, were 41,500. From the children of Naphtali, their genealogies by their families, we know that they were numbered, the tribe of Naphtali was 53,400 in verse 43. And those are the ones who were numbered, whom Moses and Aaron numbered with the leaders of Israel, 12 men, each one representing his father's house. 
So all who were numbered of the children of Israel by their father's house from 20 years old and above who were able to go to war in Israel, all who were numbered were 603,550. So over 600,000 males over 20 years of old that are numbered in all the 12 tribes. Now this does not include the tribe of Levi again. And we'll see why, because verse 47, But the Levites are not numbered among them by their father's tribe. For the Lord has spoken to Moses, saying, Only the tribe of Levi ye shall not number, nor take a census of them among the children of Israel. But ye shall appoint the Levites over the tabernacle, the testimony over all its furnishings, and over all its all things that belong to it. They shall carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings. They shall attend to it and camp all around the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. In verse 52, the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, everyone by his own camp, everyone by his own standard, according to their armies. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so they did. So the Levites, what they were to do, now remember, that when that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire, that was the presence of God in the camp, that was there over the tabernacle, when it would move, then the children of Israel would have to pack up and move. Now, we know how difficult it is when we have to move our own house, right? Oh, it is not fun. I remember the last time that we moved, I told Sue, the next move I make is going to be six feet under. I'm not moving again. So it's just a difficult thing. But can you imagine having two and a half, three million, maybe even four more, you know, or more people that have to pack up and move. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of organization, so there isn't confusion. And then the tabernacle, we saw the details of the tabernacle, didn't we? In the tabernacle, there's boards, there's cords, there's pegs, there's curtains, there's furnishings that have to be all taken care of. And what the Levites are doing here, and we will see specifically by the families of the Levites, the Gershonites and Maronites and and the Kothites, those families have very specific duties in their responsibilities of packing up the furnishings and, and taking the boards down and the pegs that all had to be accounted for and the curtains and everything else. They would assist the priests in doing that. So they would go and pack it up. The children of Israel would go out in orderly ranks as they would move, and then they would set up an orderly rank. That's what chapter 2 has to deal with. Now you may be thinking, oh, do we really need to look at that, how they were set up? But I think there's some very important lessons as we look at chapter 2, as the tribes and the leaders by armies, as they would move through the wilderness and set up camp in the wilderness. Again, don't get that picture of the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston's, of just this mass, you know, amount of people just wandering in the wilderness, and it was like a huge camp out. Everybody just camped their tent whenever. There were very specific places where they would camp their tent. If you belong to the tribe of Issachar, or the tribe of Manasseh, or the tribe of Gad, and that's what chapter 2 speaks of. And so the Lord spoke to Moses in there and saying, Every one of the children of Israel shall camp by his own standard. Beside the emblems of their father's house, they shall camp some distance from the tabernacle of meeting. And so on the east side. So the tabernacle would be set up in the middle of the camp. And so there's going to be three tribes on the east side, three tribes on the south side, three tribes on the west side, 
three tribes on the north side, that's 12 tribes, right? The Levites, Moses and Aaron, who are from the tribe of Levites, are going to be in the middle. So they're going to be camped in a certain area. So three tribes on each side. In verse 3, on the east side, towards the rising of the sun, those of the standard of the forces with Judah shall camp near according to their armies. Nashon and the son of Amenadab shall be the leader of the children of Judah. And his army was numbered at 74,600. And those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. And Lithanel, the son of Zuar, shall be the leader of the children of Issachar. Verse 6, and his army was numbered at 54,400. Then comes the tribe of Zebulun, and Eliab, the son of Helan, shall be the leader of the children of Zebulun. And his army was numbered at 57,400. And all who were numbered according to the armies of the forces with Judah, 186,400, these shall break camp first. So here's the deal. On the east side, it's going to be Judah. It's going to be Issachar and Zebulon. So if you were tribe from the tribe of Judah or Issachar and Zebulon, it was Judah that had this standard. What does that mean? It's like they had a flag. They had this flag. They would put up. So if you were from the tribe of Judah, Issachar, or Zebulon, you would look at that standard and say, that's where I belong. I don't belong over here. I belong over here. And the tribe of Judah was responsible to make sure that everybody's with us. Here's the standard. And they would go through the wilderness that way. And then they would set up camp in that way. They would go on the east side and you knew that's where you had to go. Now, when they would break camp, it was the tribe of Judah and that standard, the east side, that would break camp first. So they would begin to break camp and go out in, as the pillar of cloud would move because they were doing laps around Mount Sinai, weren't they, for 40 years. So we're going to see also not only how they camp, but how they broke camp. And so it was the east side that would break camp first. And then verse 10, on the south side shall be the standard of forces with Reuben, according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Reuben shall be Eleazar, the son of Shadur, and his army was numbered at 46,500. And those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Simeon, and the leader of the children of Simeon shall be Shalumiel, the son of Zerai Shaddai. And his army was numbered at 59,300. Then comes the tribe of Gad, and the leader of the children of Gad shall be Elisaph, the son of Ruel. And his army shall numbered at 45,650. And all who were numbered according to their armies of the forces with Reuben, 151,450, they shall be second to break the camp. So it would be on the south side, Reuben, they had the standard. Hey, if you are from Reuben or Simeon or Gad, that's where we need to be. We're going to be the second ones that are going to break camp, right behind Judah and right behind Issachar and Zebulon. Then it's going to be Judah and it's going to be Simeon and Gad in verse 17. And the tabernacle of meeting shall move out with the camp of the Levites in the middle of the camps as they camp. So they shall move out everyone in his place by their standards. And so it would be those, the east side, then it'd be the south side, then the tabernacle in the middle. Then we're going to see that it's going to be the west side, then the north side. Isn't this fascinating? The tabernacle where the presence of God was, where he said to Moses, that's where I'm going to meet with you, was always in the center. When they traveled, it was always in the center of the camp. When they set up their tents, we're going to see that those tents, their doors would always face the tabernacle where they were always focused on the Lord. In the morning, when the morning sacrifices they would see, in the evening sacrifices, the pillar of fire by night. And I pray for you and for me 
that the Lord would always be the one that we focus on. And whatever you're doing right now as you're traveling through life, as you're planted in life, in your homes and in your jobs, whatever's going on, that you're always focused on Him. That He is truly the center of your life in every area of your life. And that's what we see here in Numbers chapter 2. That the tabernacle was to stay in the middle. It was to be the focus, the center, the, the, the very, very middle center of their life. And the Lord desires that for us as well. In verse 18, on the west side shall be the standard of the forces with Ephraim according to their armies, and the leader of the children of Ephraim shall be Elishamah, the son of Amahud, and his army was numbered at 40,500. Next to him comes the tribe of Manasseh. The leader of the children of Manasseh shall be Gamaliel, the son of Pedaz, Sir, and his army shall be numbered at 32,200. Then comes the tribe of Benjamin. The leader of the children of Benjamin shall be Abidan, the son of uh, Gideonai, and his army was numbered at 35,400. And all who were numbered according to their armies of the forces with Ephraim, 108,100, and then um, they shall be the third to break camp. So they would be right behind the tabernacle. Then the standard of forces with Dan shall be on the north side according to their armies. And the leader of the children of Dan shall be Ai Azur, the son of um, Ami Shaddai. And his army was numbered at 62,700. Those who camp next to him shall be the tribe of Asher. And the leader of the children of Asher shall be Pegiel, the son of Akran. And his army was numbered at 41,500. Then comes the tribe of Naphtali. The leader of the children of Naphtali shall be Ahira, the son of Anan. And his army was numbered at 53,400. And all who were numbered of the forces with Dan, 157,600, they shall break camp last with their standards. These are the ones who were numbered of the children of Israel by their fathers' houses. All who were numbered according to their armies and the forces were 603,550. But the Levites were not numbered among the children of Israel, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Thus the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they camped by their standards. So they broke camp, each one by his family, according to his father's houses. You say, so what? Here's a couple of interesting things to think about. Judah was the standard on the east side. South side, it was Reuben. There on the west side, it was Ephraim, and then on the north side, it was Dan. Jesus would say to the religious leaders in John's gospel, you search the scriptures, and in them you think you find eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. You recall as we went through the tabernacle, we saw that the tabernacle spoke of, gave a picture of, illustrated Jesus Christ, didn't it? For example, the furnishings of the tabernacle, the shoe bread table, represents and points to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. The menorah on the left-hand side of the holy place was to show and symbolize that Jesus is the light of the world. That's what we talked about. There was one door into the tabernacle, into the presence of God there, and Jesus comes along and says that I am the door. So all those things that we talked about, and in this wilderness wandering, we see a picture of Jesus. You say, how do you figure that? It's interesting, ancient rabbinical teachers and, and documents have said that they believed that when that standard was going through the wilderness wandering, that Judah had a standard that was a picture of a lion. 
Now we know that we speak of Jesus being from Judah, the, the line of the tribe of Judah. So that's very likely. They also say that Reuben, that that standard was the picture of a man. When Ephraim was going through on the west side and, and set up their standard, they believed that his standard or Ephraim's standard for the west side was a calf or an ox. With Dan on the north side, it was an eagle. You say, what does that have to do with me? Stick with me just a little bit. As they were walking through the wilderness, they were illustrating, pointing to Jesus Christ. Standard of a lion. Standard of a man. Standard of an ox. Standard of an eagle. You go to the New Testament, you have four Gospels. Matthew was written to show us, as we've been going through it, that Jesus is the king of kings. The lion represents the king of beasts, doesn't it? We know that Mark's gospel was written to show that Jesus is the perfect servant. So Ephraim, with their standard as they went through, that they had a picture of an ox, which is the servant animal. We know that Luke, who was Greek, don't think Luke was one of the apostles. He wasn't. He was Greek, wrote the gospel of Luke, and it was written to the Gentile or the Greek audience to show that Jesus was the perfect man because the Greeks were always into the perfect man and all of this. So here was Reuben going through with the picture of a man. John's gospel was written to show that Jesus is deity. Eagle always represents deity, always has all throughout ancient times. Eagles, you know, and the king and all this. Jesus comes along as we see John's gospels to show us that he is not only was man, but he is God, he is deity. As those tribes were going through the wilderness there, they were given a picture that Jesus is the king of kings with that lion. As they're going through the wilderness with Reuben, a picture of a man, that he's the perfect man. Ephraim with the ox, that, that he's the perfect servant. As Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to be the servant of all. As they had that ego, they were picturing, even though they didn't know it, they were illustrating, they were pointing to the fact that Jesus is deity, the God-man. Let's go a little further. Revelation chapter 6. The living creatures buzzing around the throne of God. They do not rest day or night. And they're crying out, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they had four faces. What were those faces? A lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. And I think they're speaking of Jesus Christ the throne of God. From Numbers to the Gospels to the book of Revelation, one harmonious message. Jesus Christ is the king of all kings. He's the perfect man, the perfect servant. He is God. It's a wonderful, wonderful message, and that's why God's word is so wonderful to study. And so as we look at this, he had order for them. Also, if you were to take an airplane or a helicopter and fly over this camp, as you look at the numbers, the access from north to south was larger than from east to west. It made a Roman cross. As you flew over it, that's what you would see. Or if you stood on the hillside, you would see a cross there. A wonderful picture of Jesus who knows you. He knows your name. He has a duty for you. The Levites, we're going to see their duties. And remember in chapter 1, I didn't, I didn't 
speak on it specifically, but but here are the Levites responsible for helping out the priests. Their duties are going to be given to them, but no outsider come to the camp and try to do those ministries that the Levites are given, lest you shall be put to death. I'll tell you one way for you to die spiritually and in your ministries. You try to do something that somebody else is called to do. You will begin to rest in your spiritual walk and in your life and in your ministry when you realize that God has something for you to do. He knows you. He gives you gifts and abilities. He has a calling for your life. Whatever that might be, wherever he has planted you, but don't try to do somebody else's ministry because you will just begin to die spiritually and your ministry will begin to die. You just do what God has called you to do where he has you, where he has placed you, where you are camped. And know that he loves you because he did go to the cross. And he went to the cross because he knew that you'd be here tonight. And he wants you and I to understand these truths once again in our lives that we need to be reminded of over and over again. That, Lord, you have a plan for me. You know where I'm camped. You know what you want to do in my life. And, Lord, you're going to make it possible all because... I belong to you because you went to the cross at Calvary because of your love for me. And that's what we're going to remember as we come now to the communion table. I was going to try to go through chapter 3, but we'll stop there. The Lord loves you. And he knows where you're at. And he knows your name. And he has a plan for you. And so, Father, we thank you for those simple truths that we already know. But if we can go through this book and be reminded of these things. And so, Father, I just pray that you would just, as we come to the communion table, we would remember that Jesus, what he did for us, and going to Calvary's cross and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed, the sufferings that he went through, as we are going to see in this time of Easter, as we approach Easter, these chapters in Matthew's Gospel on Sunday mornings, Jesus getting closer to the cross. The work that he did for us. That we 